You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Morning. Great to see you today. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to Matthew Matthew chapter 17, we're going to start there again today. Glad to be with you in this place. How important that we live where we can come and worship freely and that we have this opportunity and that God has determined these days that we would live, that you would be born at the time you were born, grow up at the time you grew up, and that you would live in the place that you live. And the Lord moves people around, and as I say, if they are blessed, they get to come to Texas. I'm trying not to do all my Texas jokes. I read that all the nations belong to the Lord, not just the republic, and that he wants someone and many from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But what a joy, what a privilege that we can gather today. Would you agree? Well, let's just say it to the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We can be here today. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that have much more difficulty to come together. And we bless them in your name. And we ask you to protect them and to guide them and to lead them. And we ask you, Lord, would you speak to us and to them as they gather, as we gather and open up your word. And seek your face. We ask you for the Holy Spirit to fall and to lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. It's a new school year. I've been reminiscing, not on purpose, but because that's how my brain works. I remember third grade, Miss Taylor's class. Evidently, our class was known for talking. And not necessarily when we were asked a question, but talking maybe while the teacher was talking. That doesn't normally happen in schools or in homes, but it did in my third grade class. Miss Taylor would kindly try to refocus us, try to say, students, children, let's listen. One day you're going to hear something or not hear something that you wanted to hear. One day information is going to be given to you and you're not going to have it. It's going to be presented, but you might miss it because you're talking. I don't know how I remember that she said that because I was always talking. She must have said it a lot of times. But one reason I remember it is because one day as we were talking, three students got up and lined up at the door. Two girls and one boy, my friend Colin. Miss Taylor had evidently said, if you can hear my voice, line up and we'll go get ice cream at the cafeteria. I don't know how Colin heard it because he talked at least as much as I did, but he heard it that day. And as the three lined up, it took a minute. Miss Taylor quieted down the class and said, students, so-and-so, I don't remember her name, but the teacher across the room is going to watch my class while I take these three to the cafeteria to get ice cream. Uh, but, but, uh, miss, 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 miss. Man, we were paying attention then. She said, oh, I, I'm sorry. I asked whoever wanted to have ice cream to line up, and these three lined up, so we're going, and the rest of you didn't line up. But we didn't hear you. We didn't hear, we didn't hear you. I'd like to tell you I learned my lesson that day. But in fifth grade, I spent at least three days in ISS. Seventh grade, at least five. Ninth grade, well, a lot. After that, it got kind of old and boring, and licks were sometimes easier to get your punishment. But I can remember 10th grade and Mr. Ake's math class. I don't remember which math it was, someone that, some math that you don't use now that you're grown up. But I can remember Mr. Ake, he was light-complected and red hair. He went to my church. 
but he also was my math teacher. And I remember one day thinking, why is his face so red? Why is he so frustrated as he was once again trying to quieten down the class so that he could teach math that I'm never going to use in my life again? I say that, and then I try to figure out how to measure something or balance a checkbook or whatever. They make an app for that. I didn't learn the lesson, but I remember the lesson in Ms. Taylor's class. The word had been spoken for everyone to hear, but I didn't hear it because I wasn't paying attention. The title today is Jesus Speaks, and his speaking is leading us to life. I could have been led to the cafeteria for one of those beautiful bluebell cups of vanilla ice cream. The only reason lunchrooms in schools exist is because that ice cream is in there, right? You didn't have money for new shoes or socks, but man, if you could find 50 extra cents on ice cream day, they'd let you buy two when I was growing up. I didn't get to go because I didn't hear what was being said. Jesus speaks. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water and God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. John 1, 1 says in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him, speaking of Jesus. Nothing was created except through Jesus. Jesus, the word, gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. History as we know it from before it was recorded began with God speaking. Now there was history before that. We just don't know it because God's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. More than we could even imagine. How can something not have a beginning? How can something not have an end? But from the very beginning of what we know, God was speaking and he was speaking through Jesus. Jesus was the word. Ephesians 5 says this, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing her by the cleansing of his word. The word is light and the word is what leads us and guides us, and the Word is what washes us and cleanses us. How important to be in a place that Craig referred to in the announcements as the house of God, where the Word of God can fall on us and bless us, but at the same time, washing us. Did anybody ever get, used, get washed by your grandmother, washed by your dad? Washed by, I mean, you were just muddy, and they're like, no, you're not coming in my house, and it was full blast hose. Well, a hose is fun, but unless it's got that high pressure, then you're like, uh, I'd like to have my skin left when I get done with this. Or maybe you had a grandmother that would just clean you with the washing of her saliva, and somehow that thumb was like almost equal to your cheekbone, wasn't it? It was like, oh, I think it's coming off. Ah, uh, am I bleeding? You're bleeding now, but the dirt's gone. We sometimes wish the Lord would hurry up with what he's doing. He would just download it, just infuse us. We could level up. It could go from 1.0 to 2.0. In a minute, it could be Matrix. I know Kung Fu. And it could be in a moment, but the Lord is so much kinder, so much gentler. If the power of his word that created the sun hit us at full blast, we would be dust. Or maybe not even dust, just disappear. But that washing, as you come to the house of God, with the people of God, and hear the word of God, and I come, that word washes us little by little and gently by gently. It reminds me of my daughters who would love a bubble bath. And I don't know what all happens in a bubble bath. I just know it takes a long time. It's not a fast process. There's a soaking and a calmness. I just, I'm making up stuff because I don't understand it. I'm a shower guy, right? Hurry up. I got things to do. Being clean is not at the top of my list. I take a shower every Sunday whether I need it or not. The Bible says the Word of God washes us. Deuteronomy 8, 
Moses speaking to the people of God said, remember that the Lord God led you out of the wilderness. He humbled you and tested you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, and then he fed you with manna. It was a food you had never known. Even your ancestors had not known it. But he did all of this, leading you in the wilderness, letting you get a little hungry, sending manna from heaven so that you would know, so that he could teach you that people don't live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God is speaking. Jesus is speaking. And Timothy says it this way. All scripture is inspired by God. That Bible that's on the app in your phone or maybe the hard copy that you have or those verses you've memorized, they're inspired by God. A person wrote them down, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it says they're inspired by God and they're useful. Now that word useful can, can in the English language, it could be like uh, Mr. Ake's math class. Well, that was useful. I got a credit. I graduated. Nothing life-changing. Useful. But in this case, it means useful like life-giving, like the difference between life or death. Moses said that one day. Choose to follow the Lord's commands so that you would be blessed and that will lead you to life. Or don't follow them and be cursed and it will lead you to death. That word useful is big right here. It's useful to teach us what is true. Oh, there's a lot of truth in the world today. Your truth, my truth, everybody else's truth. But the Bible will teach us what is true. And to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Oh, we love that, don't we? It corrects us when we're going wrong or when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, what's that? His word, what he's speaking, he uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Jesus is speaking, and it leads us to life. I want to ask, are we listening? Or are we like little Matt Burton in third grade? The word is going out, line up for ice cream. And only Colin and two other girls. I just have an issue, don't I? I was not over the ice cream, and I'm a little mad at Colin. <laughs> I want to bless Colin in the name of the Lord. I want to bless my friend Colin. I see his face right now. I want to say to Colin and to all my friends, would you just think of your classmates, that grade, even the ones that you're like, uh, they made cheerleader and you didn't. Varsity football, and you did it. Looked on your paper, and their grade was better, and yours wasn't. They got ice cream, and you didn't. Think of them for a minute. Let's bless them. Lord, we bless them. I bless Colin in the name of Jesus. And everyone that he represents, my friends, Lord, I bless them in your name. Because I know that you have plans for them, to prosper them, and not to harm them. Lord, I bless my classmates. From kinder up to 12th grade, I bless them in the name of Jesus. Wherever they've ended up today, Lord, you know them and you see them. You saw Colin line up in third grade and you see him today. And I ask you to bless them. Rain down your word on his life. In Jesus' name. Colin's a great friend. And I might be a little mad and the Lord's still working on me with that slow washing. But pray for people, even your enemies. Are we listening? I wasn't listening that day. The, the same thing Colin heard, I could have heard, but I was busy doing something else. Something was distracting me. Something was interfering with hearing. I want to ask, when we come to the house of the Lord together, when we come to this place to worship, are we listening? Am I listening? Am I paying attention? Am I distracted? There's so much that has to go on. They've got computers in the back. I don't even know what they're doing. There's more screens back there than a high school art one class in second period. There's so much going on just right there. I'm like, oh, how do we do that? There's cameras keeping us safe. There's security guys walking around on the outside. There's people to say hello to. There's my kids to, to see if they're here or not. And 
There's my wife in the nursery working today. There's so much things to think about. Good things, not just bad things. Not just distractions, but things that are worth our time. But we want to hear Miss Taylor asking us to line up for ice cream. We don't want the good things to distract us. No, what I'm really saying is we want to hear the words of God because no matter what we hear today, that the Longhorns won last night, that the Cowboys play today. No matter what we hear today, it's not going to lead us to life. Only Jesus has the words of life. Peter said it when he was asked by Jesus, are you going to turn away from me too? And Peter goes, where can I go? Almost as if, are there other options? He said, we come to know that you have the words of life. No matter how difficult it is following you, Jesus, no matter that it's going to lead to my death, Peter might have said, he says, there's no other place to go. Are we listening? You know, many times God spoke in someone's house. I think of Rahab. The spies come. They're scouting the city of Jericho. They get hidden in Rahab's house. She's a prostitute. And the word of God comes. God's going to destroy this city. The word of God came to her house. And she responded. She said, could you save me? Could I leave Jericho and become your people? We've heard about you. Could we make a trade? I hide you and you hide me and your people. And on that day, because God's word came to her house, her and her whole family were saved when the walls of Jericho came down. Thank God he speaks to us in our own house. And we talked about that last week, about our prayer time. You know, God came to Abraham and Sarah at their house. God appeared, he told uh, Sarah and Abraham that even though they were almost 100 years old and hadn't had children, that they were going to be the parents of nations, that, that their offspring would be more than the stars in the sky or the sands at Port Aransas, where I was yesterday with my family. Do I look a little tan? It's the lighting. God came to Abraham and Sarah in their house and spoke to them. You want to be listening. God's coming to your house to speak to you. But God also speaks in his house, what we call his house. The, in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle and then the temple and then the synagogues and now then the churches, we call it. But when we gather, God speaks. I remember when Samuel's mom, Hannah, went to the tabernacle to pray. Oh, her life was misery. All she wanted was a child. And instead of a child, she got persecution and misunderstanding and mocking. She got to be said, oh, that's the one cursed by God, barren. She can't have kids. And then her husband in that culture could have another wife. And though he loved Hannah, he, his other wife would, would tease her and mock her and flaunt her kids in front of Hannah. And even when Hannah went this day to pray, it says, in God's house at the tabernacle to pray, she was misunderstood by Eli the priest. He thought she was drunk because she was praying from such a broken heart that her mouth was moving, but nothing was coming out of it. And he goes, this drunk woman at the tabernacle. And she said, sir, please don't misunderstand. My heart is broken. I'm asking the Lord for a request. And Eli says, well, in that case, may the Lord grant it. And Hannah had a baby boy named Samuel. And as she had promised in her prayer, if God would give her a son, she would give him back to God. When he was old enough, she took him back to Eli. And Samuel became the prophet, the voice of God on the earth. He anointed King David. He did many things. He became a great man in our history of faith. But it started on a day when Hannah went to God's house to hear him speak. Jehaziel, that's not how you say his name, but it's a cool name. Jehaziel, Jehazel. I don't know. We have an appointment in heaven, I hope, one day where we can talk. I can get his name right, maybe, but I want to hear this story of his life where they brought all the people together, King Jehoshaphat, and the people were facing an army they could not beat. And they said, let's go and ask together the Lord what we should do. They got all the women and children, all the men, all the families. They met together and they prayed. And it says, while they were praying, while they were together in God's house, the spirit of the Lord fell on Jehaziel. And told them, don't be afraid of this army. Go out tomorrow and fight them. 
That made no sense. They could not beat them. They wouldn't fight them. It would have made more sense to make a treaty. But they got together, and because they were together, God spoke and gave them the plan. When we come together, are we listening? Oh, Lord, I want to listen. But I'm the one who missed the ice cream. How much am I missing every Sunday? How much am I missing every Wednesday? Oh, Lord, but my plea is not based on how good I can listen. But that proverb says it is the Lord who makes ears that hear and eyes that see. And so I say, Lord, give me ears that hear. I like to pray for you and for me out of Ephesians that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would enlighten our hearts on the inside into the knowledge of God, that we could know more than we could know by ourselves, that we could hear what we couldn't hear, that when they say, get ice cream and we're not listening, it would penetrate our heart. When God says, I'm going to save you, we would hear it. When God says, draw near, we would hear it. When God says, I have a plan for your life, we go, I know, I heard that verse all my life. No, it would pierce our heart and we'd be like, God has a plan. The difference between hearing and listening or listening and hearing. I wasn't paying attention that day either. But they say one's like, well, I heard it. And one's like, I heard it. God speaks in his house when his people are together. Please be here. Please come on Sundays. I just can't imagine what would have happened if Jehaziel hadn't showed up to the meeting. And God's spirit comes and goes, I have been planning this forever. And they've got the people together, and I'm looking for Jehazel because he's the one I'm going to speak through so that everybody can hear the message. And what if Jehazel hadn't shown up? And what if next week I need to hear what you have to say? And I need to see your face. And I need to be encouraged in a world where I feel like everybody's turning from God, but I see you. And it speaks to my heart. It's like, no, Matt, God would say to me because I saw your face, not everybody's turning away. Look, who are these people? Who are these brothers and sisters of you? Who are these people in the older generation that have been walking with God and still walking with God? They're here. Your very presence would be speaking to me. But then again, your absence might speak to me too. It might speak something that's not true. It might discourage me. Oh, I hope you'll come. This is no guilt trip. I just think there's some heavenly ice cream and more than three of us need to line up. Is anybody praying? I need a better metaphor than ice cream. We're talking about the word of God. God spoke and Jehaziel said, go out and fight. And they prayed and they thought it was good to worship the Lord and take instruments in front of the army. And they shouted and sang and the army killed its own self. They did nothing except hear the word, obey the word, and worship the Lord. And the Lord said, it's my battle not yours. Well, if it's his battle, I'll go out there and watch it. If it's my battle, I'm in some big trouble. Because if I go down, I'm going to go down swinging, but I don't know all my swinging if anything's going to land. I'm swinging with both hands, and I told my kids at school the other day, and I'm coming with the chair, like in wrestling. I might have said that here last Sunday, did I? Yes, okay, thank you. Y'all are listening. Say something from heaven, Matt, not from WWF, okay? Well, let's get to it then. God speaks in his house. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went in as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled it, and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointing me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. God himself, in the form of Jesus, stood in the house of God and read the word of God and said, this is the message of God. This is the time of the Lord's favor. I need to hear that. Everybody else is telling me this is bad times. What happened to the good old days? And the Lord is going, no, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is the proclamation. Captives will be released. The blind are going to see. The oppressed will be set free. There's good news even for the poor. And Jesus stands up and goes, it's fulfilled today because I'm here. Man, imagine if you missed that meeting. Imagine if you didn't hear that word. 
but they recorded it, inspired by, by God, the scripture written down to teach us. And we learn from this scripture written down from the Old Testament, repeated by Jesus in the New Testament. We hear it today and we learn God is working. He's setting people free. He's healing illness. He's making a way. These are the days that the Lord has made. And so we hear that word. God is speaking. God speaks when we get together. It may just be in a smile. It may just be because you greeted somebody and let them know that they exist in your eyesight and you just blessed them and say, hey, great to see you. Glad you're here. The simple things. Jesus said, if you just give somebody a cup of cold water, I write it down. What a blessing. You just said hello to somebody. You invited them to church. Our youth pastor has been here six months. Today, you're going to take him to lunch. Get to know him. Bless him. You see a visitor. You ask him, hey, you got any plans? We're going to eat at Garcia's. And if you're going to Garcia's, you ask them and me. We come together. The Lord speaks. Sometimes it's profound. Sometimes it's like lightning from heaven. Sometimes it's the voice of God inside of us and we hear it. And then sometimes it's just the kindness of God through a friend, through church family. But let's be expecting God to speak. It says when Jesus went to his hometown, even though he spoke in the temple, he could do no miracles, hardly any because they lacked faith. There was no faith there. They couldn't believe that the guy they saw grow up as the carpenter in Joseph's house could really be the son of God. They missed the word of God. We don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Let's just say that to the Lord. Lord, we don't want to miss your word. We don't want to miss your word. Peter needs Jesus' word at this time in this historical account of his life. He's been asked if Jesus pays the temple tax. And even though he's been walking around with Jesus for about three years and Jesus doesn't pay the temple tax, Peter says, yeah, he pays the temple tax. Peter needs Jesus' words because he's confused a little bit about who Jesus is. He needs Jesus' words because their life and their light and their correction and their guidance, and we need Jesus' words. Now, Peter is not like your normal person. He has been impacted by the word of God. He has been saved by God. He's been healed by God. He's been brought into the kingdom of God. But he doesn't know everything that he needs to know yet. He still has more to learn. And so he needs Jesus' words. And you might say, you know, it's a little thing. It's a two-coin tax, the two-drachma tax. And Peter's just confused on that. That's not uh, going to ruin him for the rest of his life. But, you know, Jesus is so interested in us knowing who he really is because in John 17, 3, the Bible says, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and your son whom you sent. This is what real life is, knowing God. And so if Peter is confused about something, then in that area of his life, he's not knowing God, so he's missing out on some eternal life. And Jesus cares about him so much that he won't go, hey, Peter, you got a 90? That's good. He's like, no, I want you to know this about me, Peter. I'm God's son, so I don't have to pay tax in God's house. And we'll talk more about that and the significance of it. But today, one of the words for us is that God is so interested in you knowing who he is so that you can have life that even the little details he wants to tell you about. He wants to tell you that his ways are higher. He wants to tell you that the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He wants to tell you that though he has all power he will disrobe himself of power and put on flesh and come in the form of a man, even a servant, and die on a cross that he might redeem a fallen word, world to himself. He wants you to know that he sees you if you're the only one in your community and nobody talks to you like the woman at the well. He wants to tell you that even if your child is sick, he knows and he'll come to your house and pray for you. He wants you to know that if all heaven and earth passes away, his word will last forever. He wants you to know some things about him. He wants you to know everything about him, and it's going to take a minute to get there because there's a lot about him. But isn't it amazing that he cares enough about Peter that over two little coins, he's going to have a conversation. 
because it's going to matter in Peter's life. There's too much at stake. Jesus has to have this conversation. He has to speak. There's too much at stake. I worked in a several school districts in my life, and when I was younger in my 20s, I was working in one, and I drove a bus. And I would pull up to this one school, and too many kids would get on my bus, and I'd say, get down so we don't get pulled over. Maybe I shared this story. And I would drive past several students' houses so I could get to this one neighborhood and get half my bus off at one time and get back into the legal parameters of what should be on a bus. This is a long time ago when you, when you got the bus would go like the Flintstones. You know, you used your feet to move it. I mean, that's a long time ago. So there were different laws and everything back then. I don't need a bunch of emails like, we need to arrest Matt for illegally driving a bus. One day, a fifth-grade girl got on the bus almost in tears. I said, what's wrong? She had a big sigh of relief. The other 1,000 kids that were supposed to get on the bus were behind her, but I asked her, what's wrong? She said, I'm getting all this pressure from my boyfriend. I couldn't believe it, fifth grade. I don't know why, but out of my mouth, I said, have you talked to your dad? I mean, that's a great response, but I don't claim any. It just came out of my mouth. I didn't know what else to say. I mean, what do you say? I said, Did you, have you talked to your dad? She goes, yeah. He said, it's my life. Do whatever I want. There's too much at stake for Jesus not to have this conversation with Peter because if Peter doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't have life. And thank God our Father is not a father, and man, we all fail. Even the father's doing their best. We're just broken people in need of a savior. But thank God for a father, for a Jesus who'll say, I'll have the conversation. It matters. I'll tell you what to do. Instead of throwing us away at 10 years old or 11, however old you are in fifth grade, going, it's your own life. Do whatever you want. Jesus said it this way. I won't leave you as an orphan. I won't leave you without guidance. I won't leave you without protection. I won't leave you without the word of God to guide your life. I won't tell you, do whatever you want. It's your life. Oh, God will give you free will. And he'll say, choose your, this your day, what you will do. Serve the gods of your ancestors or serve God. Choose blessing or curses. And I'll explain them all to you, he might say. But he won't just say, whatever, I'm watching a game right now. Don't bother me with all your school drama. There's too much at stake. I won't leave you as orphans. Jesus speaks so that we can know him. And that knowing him is eternal life. Jesus speaks and it leads us to life. He has the conversation with Peter. Peter's confused. He doesn't even understand. He's been walking around with Jesus for three years seeing miracles. And he's confused over a temple tax. But Jesus goes, hey, this is important. Let's talk about it. And he doesn't scold him. He asks him a question. What do you think, Peter? Should I pay taxes in my own dad's house? And Peter goes, no, I don't think so. And he goes, okay. And Peter learned something about Jesus that day and about how you live out your faith on the earth. But you know, that wasn't just Peter's life at stake. At stake that day was all of Capernaum. It says that Jesus did many of his miracles in Capernaum. He healed the centurion's son. He healed the nobleman's son in John. He uh, healed Peter's mother-in-law in Mark. He healed the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9. He cast out an unclean spirit in Mark chapter 1. He raised Jairus' daughter to life, and he healed the woman with the issue of blood. All of that happened in Capernaum. Capernaum was at stake, and, and Jesus needed Capernaum to know who he was, that he wasn't just a rabbi who owed the temple tax. He was the son of God. And it wasn't about that Jesus didn't want to pay his taxes. It was about they needed to know he was divine. He was the true son of God. He didn't just have God on him to do miracles. He had God in him and he actually was God. It says in Capernaum he did all these things and yet it says that Capernaum as a whole did not receive him. Now a lot of people did. Simon and Andrew, they came to follow Jesus in Capernaum and Matthew the tax collector he came, but most of the city, it says in Luke chapter 10, doesn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, even though he's speaking and teaching and doing miracles. 
And Jesus sits down with Peter to, to clarify who he is about this temple tax. And it's not so much about the temple tax, it's about Capernaum. Capernaum needs to know Jesus is the Son of God. And so Peter needs to know that because Peter's going to be speaking about it and teaching about it. Because Capernaum was at stake, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus was walking along the seashore of Galilee at the north side of it, that was Capernaum, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who they called Peter, and Andrew, and they were throwing their net in the water because they were fishermen for a living. And Jesus called to them one day and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me, I want to save Capernaum. Come follow me, I want to save your hometown. Come follow me. I need to teach people who I am, and I need your help. Because Capernaum was at stake, Jesus called Peter. And because Lockhart is at stake, Jesus has called you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on. All of Lockhart? I'm in charge of Lockhart? You can't put that on me. No. Lockhart belongs to Jesus, and Jesus has chosen you as his follower to be light and salt in this community. Lockhart is at stake, and so we need to know Jesus' word and not be confused about him. And the Lord is patient. He's so patient. But you need to know this. There's a lot at stake. Like that fifth grade girl getting on the bus, and the rest of her life is at stake from this decision with her boyfriend, and she's got an absent father who cares more about whatever he was doing that day than figuring out how to talk to his daughter. Jesus is not the same. He cares enough to sit down at the table and go, Peter, what do you think about this? What do you think about my divinity? What do you think about if I am the real son of God? Because Lockhart is at stake. Jesus wants to talk to us when we come to church on Sundays. And I'll tell you this, he wants to talk to us when we come on Wednesdays. We're starting some new classes on Wednesdays. I hope you come. At 7, we'll meet in here. Our wonderful, incredible, real-life youth team will lead us in three songs. And then Miss Esther Ledesma is going to lead a class called Strong up in the room right here. I'm pointing to this door like you know what I'm doing. Like The next on The Price is Right. Through that door, we'll have a sign, and she's leading a class called Strong. It'll be video-based and then discussion-based. And then through that door, dun-dun-dun. You go all the way to the back of the nursery and Robert James will lead a class called Breaking Intimidation about understanding God's word so that we have confidence in God's spiritual gifts in us. And then if you go down the hall and up that door, stairs, Fernando and Crystal will lead a class called What Were You Expecting about marriage and our expectations and how we end up places. And I want to encourage you, come on Wednesdays because God's going to be speaking through video, through discussion, through prayer. Come, come on Wednesday nights. Your kids will still have youth and they'll have children's church and nursery, but God wants to speak. There's so much at stake, but not only is Capernaum at stake, but Peter's life is at stake. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this to Peter. This is a few weeks after Peter has this conversation about the coin and the tax. Peter and Jesus are talking at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In my translation, your life is at stake. You need to know me. I'm going to lead you to life. And Jesus says this, but I've pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith won't fail. So when you've repented, turn to me again and strengthen your brothers. Peter's life is at stake. If he doesn't know who Jesus is, when Satan comes to sift him, he's going to be sifted like weed and there's going to be nothing left of Peter. But Jesus is praying for him and Jesus is teaching and knowing Jesus is knowing life and Peter ends up okay even in the middle and the end of his biggest failure. We need to know Jesus. One thing you need to know about Jesus, he forgives you. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Peter denied Jesus while he was watching three times. And Jesus said that he could forgive Peter. And Peter confessed his love three times. And Jesus made him the rock on which he built his church. Peter's on a journey to follow Jesus. There's more ahead of him. There's further to go. There's more to see. So Jesus wants to have this conversation at the table. You know, Peter was doing so good with the Lord. 
You might think like, well, it's Simon Peter, a disciple. Like, I'm not even close to that. Why don't you just leave Peter alone? Why are you going to really have this conversation about the temple tax? Why is it that important? Well, it's important because there's more in our journey in faith. I want to explain it this way. Jesus was asking, who do the people say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon, because God has revealed this to you. You didn't understand this by human wisdom. God revealed to your heart that I'm the Son of God. Now, everybody hears us say Jesus is God's Son, but not everybody believes it. It's not a revelation to them. For it to be real in your life, for you to understand it, God has to help you believe. God gives you the revelation. It is true. It is true. Some of you, that happened to you. You drove by this church most of your life, and then one day, it was like the Lord said, go in there. And you're like, whatever, I don't even believe all this stuff. And then one day, you're like, I believe all this stuff. What happened to me? The Lord revealed it to you. His word spoke, and it went into you. It changed you. But there's more to the journey, because a few verses after Simon confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross, and Simon goes, come here. No talking about this dying on the cross. Let that never, God forbid that you die on the cross. And Peter goes, Simon, you get behind me. You're talking like the devil. There's more for us, Christians, followers of Christ. We've had this revelation that Jesus is Lord, but there's more. And just like Peter, we're susceptible to misunderstanding. Jesus, you're the son of God. There's no way you could die. And sometimes we say, Jesus is the son of God. There's no way he would do this or say this. And he'd be like, You better read my word. You better know what I'm saying. Lord, help me. Peter took him aside and reprimanded him. Jesus took Peter aside and told him, you have a human viewpoint, not God's viewpoint. Before this this part of Peter's life where he says that Jesus needs to pay the temple tax, days before, Peter And James and John had been on a mountain, and they had seen Jesus transfigure from human to superhuman, from from human to divine. He he started glowing, and light came out of him. And he didn't look like a person anymore. He looked like a heavenly being. And Peter and them saw it. And Elijah came from heaven, and Moses came from heaven, and they watched them talk. Peter had been... Rescued at the seashore by Jesus. He had been given divine revelation by God that Jesus was the Messiah. He had seen Jesus transfigured, and yet he doesn't even know some of the basics that Jesus doesn't pay the temple tax. And I go, hallelujah, I'm kind of like Peter. And Peter goes, oh, you just upgraded yourself. And I go, okay, well, okay. I'm like Peter because I know Jesus is the son of God, but I get things mixed up all the time. I've seen God do miracles in my life, and then I doubt him. I've seen him heal tumors and, 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 and give life in my daughters where there was no life. And then I've wondered, like, do I have enough faith? How come my wife's not healed of this thing yet? Or how come I'm still doing this? I, I feel like Peter. I see a miraculous move of God, and then the next day I'm, like, misquoting him. And the Lord goes, that's okay. Let's just sit down and talk about it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Let's get to the bottom of it because you need to know me. So not only is Capernaum at stake, But Peter's life is at stake. And so Jesus is correcting him. And I want you to remember this statement. Correction is not rejection, it's direction. Correction isn't rejection. When God corrects you, he's not rejecting you. Rejection is, it's your life, do whatever you want. Get out of my living room. That's rejection. Correction means you're a child of God and he disciplines the one he loves. So Peter is getting corrected by Jesus. I don't pay the tax. And the issue is he wants him to know that he's wrong so that he has life. Pro athletes, they have more coaches than anybody. CEOs, more coaches and leaders than anybody. Business leaders, they're all getting coaching. I went to a game one time. I saw Michael Jordan play in the Alamo Dome. I went early. He got to the baseline. He did 50 fadeaway jumpers. Uh. Line up at the block, make the pass, head fake. I imagine that he winked at me. Fade away, jump 50 from the right block. Then he went over here and he did 50 from this side. Michael Jordan, greatest player ever. He's at the game 
an hour early doing 50 fadeaway jumpers. And then he shot free throws. And he shot, you know how many people were helping him? Like a whole team was helping. He had a guy throwing the ball. He had a guy catching the ball. He had a guy watching him. He had a guy on that side watching him. He had coaches all around him correcting him. Your elbow's down. Get your head up. This, that, this, that. Michael Jordan, coaches all. He had more coaches than sat on the bench that night at the game. And you and me, if we're not careful in our immaturity, we'll think when God corrects us that he's rejecting us or we'll defend ourselves. I love it that it doesn't say that Peter said anything in defense. Oh, I thought you paid the tax. I'm sorry, I'll pay it for you. He just listened, and then he did what Jesus said. Everybody's getting coaching. It's almost like it's immaturity to resist correction. Have you ever corrected a two-year-old? Uh-uh, you can't tell me what to do. You ever seen a 15-year-old, two-year-old? You ever seen a 30-year-old, two-year-old? Have you ever seen a 52-year-old, bald-headed, two-year-old? Don't tell me what to do. Don't correct me. Don't you hate being wrong and then told you're wrong? That's immature. Oh, Lord, mature our love. David prayed it this way. Lord, search me, even the parts of me I don't understand, and tell me if anything is wrong. What a mature prayer. What a humble prayer. We need to hear the word of God because we'll be wrong sometimes. Even though we know God, we'll we'll forget or we'll misunderstand. I'm trying really hard to finish. I really sense from the Lord his heart for us today. He just wants us to know him. And in knowing him, we're going to be blessed because we know him, but it's also going to lead us to life. We're going to avoid things that would trip us up. We're going to avoid things that would kill us. We're going to avoid things that would steal our life from us. He just wants us to know him. And we know him some, and he's so pleased with that. And he just wants us to know know him more. And so he speaks to us. I want to just tell you about Peter's life so you can see your life in it. I read to you that Peter was fishing one day and Jesus walked by and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And that was going to matter to Capernaum. But in Luke, it tells the story a little longer. It says Jesus was preaching one day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and there were a lot of crowds around pressing up to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. The fishermen had left them. They were washing their nets. So he stepped into one of the boats and he asked Simon, Peter, the owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, go out where it's deeper and put your nets down and let's catch some fish. Simon said, Master, we worked all night. I'm sorry, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. They shouted for help from their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were so filled with fish, they were on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He was awestruck by the fish they had caught. And so were the others with them. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. When Jesus asked Peter to come follow him, he had shown his power. He had filled his boat up with fish so much that he needed two boats. What Peter couldn't do in a day and a night's work, Jesus did in minutes, overflowing, more than he could hold. And the point wasn't so Peter could go get all his money at the seashore, take his fish in, take a couple of days off. I got more fish than I've ever caught. The point was, Peter, you need to know something about me. I'm the Lord of this sea. I'm the Lord of your life. I can do anything. I can move heaven and earth. I can make fish get in your net. The point wasn't less pain and more pleasure, which is what sometimes Western Christianity is. Oh, God, could I rub the holy lamp and you grant me three wishes so I don't suffer and so that I feel good? No, the point was that Peter ended up on his knees in front of God going, you're God and I'm not, and I don't even need to be near you. And, Pete, and Jesus says to Peter, 
No, that's exactly where you need to be. Come follow me. Come follow me. On the Sea of Galilee, in a boat, Peter had met Jesus in a miraculous way, and he was willing to leave everything and follow him. That was about three years before the story of the temple tax. And on the day of the story of the temple tax, Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, you've been with me a long time. You know some things about me. I want you to know this. I'm the son of God. And what that means is there's different rules. Life is changing. You're going to be set free from things that used to bind you. But I want you to go to the sea where we first met. And I want you to get in a boat. And this time, don't take a net. The Bible says he threw out a line. And Jesus told him, the first fish you catch, open the mouth and look for the coin. I want to say this to you. Some of you have been following the Lord a long time. It's all been real. It's all been important. There's been times you've been so overwhelmed with the presence of God, all you could do is cry and hope somebody brought you a Kleenex. There's been times you felt the Lord's presence so much you couldn't breathe. You were weeping and then your breath left your body. You felt almost crushed by his presence, but in his mercy, he didn't crush you. He filled you. There's been times you've been like Peter. Lord, I can see who you are and I'm not worthy and I see you as you are. There's been times when your boat's been filled, when the blessing has come, when it's overflowed. But I want to tell you this, there's more. And some of us, we're entering into a time where Jesus says, hey, I want you to walk back to that place, but go by yourself this time. Don't take a net. I want you to take a pole. Don't catch a boatload of fish. Catch one. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened because it's so personal between him and Peter. Everybody saw him catch all the fish that one day. Nobody saw him catch the fish this day. Just Peter. And of course, Jesus knew because he already knew the fish was there. I wish I could preach it. We're walking into a time where everything that happened before matters because it's grounded our faith in the Lord. But everything, the big blessings are going to turn into a blessing that no one sees. The blessing of knowing that Jesus who found me on the shore and did a great miracle also knows where the one fish is with the one coin in its mouth. Help me, Lord. Preach this. There's going to be some times when no one's looking, you're all alone, and one fish comes in your boat, and it's all you need. And it's not because there's a coin in the mouth. It's because Jesus knew where the fish was. He knew where you needed to go, and he knew you needed to follow him. I'm telling you, there's going to be some lonely times. But they're only going to be lonely because the crowd's gone. Jesus isn't gone. The same shore where Jesus met Peter and filled his boat. In one fish, he now feeds his boat. You know the coin that was in his mouth? It was a four drachma coin. He needed a two drachma coin to pay the tax. He caught a fish. It had a coin in its mouth. It was worth double what he needed because Jesus said, go pay my tax and your tax. God's going to provide what you need. God's going to provide what you need in his relationship. Most people aren't going to see it. And we live in a world where it's got to be big and it's got to be flashy and it's got to be sinking boats and overflowing fish and Instagram posts and Facebooks and, hey, let me tell you about what the Lord did in my life. But we're walking into some days where it's going to matter. Do we know the Lord and will we follow him to a shore and will we, will we put a fishing pole in there and see if it's really true that a fish could have a coin in its mouth? They say in the Sea of Galilee, there's these fish that pick up uh, fertilize eggs off the bottom of the seashore, off the bottom of the sea of Galilee. They hold them in their mouth till they hatch. It's a real kind of fish. Jesus knew of a fish who thought it was picking up an egg and it had picked up a coin that a fisherman had let fall out of his pocket. And Jesus knew that fish was in that sea and he knew if he sent Peter that he could get the fish on Peter's hook. Some of you have lived with so much blessing, you couldn't fill it in the boat. And now you feel like, where's all my blessing gone? And the Lord goes, all you need is one fish. I got all you need. Come sit with me by the water. Throw your pole in there. Believe me. 
Fishermen don't open up fish's mouth to see what they have inside there. They catch them, they take the hook out, they throw them in the boat. I want to ask you, will you start looking? Will you start listening? And let's ask the Lord to help us listen. Help us, Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is speaking and it's going to lead us to life. And what he's done in your life before, it's been so real, but it's going to be different this time. It's not going to be the same as what he did last time or at that last service or at that last conference. He's going to say something to you. It's going to come true. It's going to be real, and you're going to be like, God, who are you? How do you even know there's a fish with a coin in his mouth? How do you know where I am in Lockhart? How did you know I was feeling this way? How did you know I was going through this? And the Lord's going to say, I love you. I'm for you. But the Lord's not finished with us. You're the oldest generation or the youngest generation. Jesus has a fishing pole and a line. He wants you to obey him. What if Peter wouldn't have gone to fish? What if you'd have said, Jesus, there's no coins in fish's mouths? Man, let's believe him. Let's believe him. Would you just bow your head? Jesus sent Peter back to where it all started to teach him more about himself. Jesus wants to teach us more about himself. When I was preparing, an old hymn came to my mind. It says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea Heard my despairing cry. From the water lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love lifted me. I don't know what happened to Peter that day. He was alone in a boat with a pole looking for a fish with a coin in his mouth. But I guarantee you he remembered the day Jesus filled his boat with a bunch of fish. He remembered the day Jesus called him. He remembered that Jesus had never left him or forsaken him. He remembered that Jesus had pulled him out of the water when he was sinking. He remembered that he had healed his mother-in-law. He remembered that he had promised him he was a rock. He remembered that he was building his church. We can trust Jesus with our future. It's not a boatload of fish this time. It's going to be one fish. There's no crowd, no friends, just Peter and a fish and the Lord's provision. But that's enough for Peter. And what Jesus did with a boatload of fish on this day, he did with one coin. A four drachma coin is worth four days of work. Just like two boatloads of fish. Let's obey the Lord and go where he says go. Let's say what he says to say and let's do what he says to do. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus, your son, whom you sent. Father, I ask you in these days to please speak with us, to please give us ears to hear, to please give us eyes to see, please give us hearts to understand. I pray for the person who's seen your miraculous Wonder in boatloads. I pray for the calm faith that will sit quietly in the boat looking for the one fish. And I thank you, Lord, you love us like Peter. You don't want us to be confused. You don't want us to misunderstand. You're willing to talk to us as long as it takes. And you have a smile on your face while you're doing it. Lord, in this week, would you send your Holy Spirit in this house, and to our houses to speak to us. Right now, Lord, there's some of us in this room you want to say something to. You want to speak a word. You want to ask a question. You want to give a direction. We ask you to do that. We're listening. Help us to hear. Lord, would you take my weak words 
Would you use them by your Holy Spirit? Would you teach us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.